if there is an abuse and there isn't damage, but it's a mutual, respectful working relationship, a symbiotic relationship, is it still a problem? Welcome to the Ignited Recovery Podcast, a new way forward for anyone looking for answers but feeling left out. If you've been searching for empowerment, triumph, and purpose, you've found them right here. You won't hear the same solutions and you're not gonna have any excuses to fall back on because Ignited Recovery allows heroes to rise and become their best selves. I'm Dr. Adi Jaffe and I can't wait to be your guide on this journey. Are you ready to become an Ignited Hero? I had a client who I think you've heard me talk about before. Uh, I call her Melissa in my stories. That's not her real name. But, you know, she was really struggling. By the time she came to me, she was, which was in my old treatment center that I'd co-founded. She came to me with six different clinical diagnoses, including anxiety, borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, uh, and three different addictions. And, you know, her mom was one of those overbearing, always in her business, constantly watching over her mother. A lot, some people would say that she was a codependent. Some may have called her a tiger mom. Other people would call her a helicopter parent. There's so many names for this thing, you know, and, and the way this kind of played out in Melissa's story is when she came in, it meant we would get constant calls and emails and updates from the mom, which is honestly a really, really common thing in the line of work that I do. We had to work with the mom. We had to explain to her boundaries and what was okay and was not okay within the context of our relationship even with her, let alone her daughter's relationship, et cetera. And it, and it kept playing out and we did the work. If you've heard me talk about Melissa before, uh, you know how this played out. And if you don't, just wait till the end of this episode. But the point is this, when you see a mom acting like this, when somebody is doing this on a regular basis, is she being a codependent or is there another way to look at this? And if you're struggling, if you're a family member of somebody who's struggling with addiction or mental health, this probably speaks to you because people tell you all the time you're codependent. I just know that they do. Not surprisingly, I don't necessarily see this as a lot of other people. A lot of people use the term codependent as a noun, meaning that it's a type of person. Like for instance, uh, codependent anonymous is anonymous meanings for codependents, right? People who are codependent. So the term codependent can be a noun as in describing a person or it could be uh, an adjective, which is describing a type of behavior. I think a lot of people use codependence as a way to describe a type of person. Um, but I don't think that Melissa's mom was being a codependent. I think she was acting codependently, maybe. And if this is semantic to you, then stick around. But if you're a family member who's been told, hey, you know, you're a codependent, you got to go to these meetings, it's really interesting. And I'm going to dig into that quite a bit here because to me, she was just being a worried mom who just learned how to handle her kids from her own mom. She was trying to do her best in the face of some pretty difficult situations. And her mom learned it from her mom and so on and so on. So this mother that I got to deal with had just been relying on these ancient habits and she needed to change them. Once she did, she didn't really meet criteria for being that kind of a person. So what does that mean about codependent as a noun. Now, I'm going to break this down to you into three kind of parts. And the first one is, what does it even mean to say that somebody is codependent? You know, in the case of this mom, for instance, he was very directly referred to these meetings, these codependence anonymous meetings. Well, um, 
I did a little digging for you so you don't have to go do the work. And codependency is defined in a bunch of different ways, but primarily as a behavioral condition in a relationship where one person enables another person's addiction, poor mental health, immaturity, irresponsibility, or underachievement. And whew, A, that's loaded. B, if you're the family member of anybody who's struggling with an addiction, poor mental health, immaturity, whatever that means, irresponsibility, or underachievement, you may meet some of the patterns we're about to talk about. Um, they, you know, the definition, people, this is not a psychological term, and um, codependency is really more of like a what we sometimes call a subclinical term. The idea is it's something that you use to describe people, but it doesn't meet clinical criteria, and it's mostly situational or conditional on environmental things that are going on at the time. So like you can be acting codependently at one point in time and not at another point in time, right? Some people who are totally, quote unquote, I'm putting this in air quotes, normal, act in ways that are codependent sometimes. Um, You can end up with a dependent personality disorder. And for those of you who know anything about psychology, personality disorders are in general, I kind of thought of to be as patterns of behavior that you never get to change like narcissistic or borderline etc i got a lot more on that too so not a diagnosis nothing it doesn't mean clinically anything although we're going to see that they tried you know uh the term codependent was pretty much almost like created by the self-help literature starting really in the 80s uh used in the book adult children of alcoholics by janet wowitz um and, you know, Women Who Love Too Much, which led to the whole love addiction concept. Uh, Robin Norwood's book talked about this quite a bit. And yes, a physician in 1986 tried to make the term codependence become an actual clinical diagnosis. He wrote an entire paper on it. And in it, he really proposed that codependency become a personality disorder by itself. Um, I want to describe to you a little bit of some of the criteria that he thought meant somebody was had a codependent personality disorder. Uh, and that included that their self-esteem is um, connected to their ability to control themselves and others in the face of serious adverse consequences, right? So they're trying to con- manipulate their self-esteem, even if there are consequences. Assuming responsibility for meeting other people's needs, even at the cost of their own. Having anxiety and boundary distortions. These were really, really interesting, having to meet three or more of these criteria, and I'll only name a couple of them, but depression, compulsion, anxiety, substance abuse, which is no longer a term that's used, but mild to moderate kind of substance problems, uh, being the victim of physical or sexual abuse, stress-related medical illness, and being in a primary relationship with somebody who is a substance user problematic substance user for at least two years without seeking outside help for that what's up everybody so glad that you've tuned in here today you know we bring you these recovery episodes to help anyone who's struggling with addiction or habits that don't serve them break free of the cycle using the latest research and the most effective strategies that i've found over my years of doing this and thousands of people i've helped obviously we offer this free resource to you because i know that getting help is hard and i want to make it as easy as possible so even if you never join our online hero program or come to our retreats or come and work with me individually, I want you to at least have access to the same powerful tools that have changed thousands of lives. If you like this and think it's useful, please give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or just wherever you're listening to this right now. It really helps get the word out about this free resource, which is important since my goal is to help over a million people. So thanks a lot for being part of the Ignited community. Now let's get you back to the help. 
when I look at this list and I look at this is what people mean when they say somebody is codependent, I have to think to myself, well, what are the reasons why this behavioral pattern might be existed, right? Like if you read my book, uh, The Abstinence Myth, I say, don't look at the drugs, look at why people are using the drugs. Well, here, don't look at the codependency, look at why people are being codependent. I got to argue that many parents, maybe even most parents, I don't have the statistics on that, but a lot of parents, if their children struggle with mental health, addictions, or any other related disorders, would probably end up meeting criteria for being codependent. Like anxiety, for instance. My kids are nine, seven, and one. But guaranteed, they're giving me anxiety right now. If one of them gets into drug or mental health problems, guaranteed I'm going to have anxiety. Trying to control your emotions and self-esteem in the face of adverse consequences, believe me that if there are adverse consequences to my kids' behavior, um, not only will I try to control my own, but also their self-esteem and emotions. Drinking yourself or using substances. When this is happening around you and it causes massive amount of stress, on top of the normal everyday stress, hello anybody, just living, you're going to try to find a way to cope with it. And if you drink, all of a sudden you're now in a category here because drink dealing with these problems with drinking could lead you to having your own disorder. How nice to have that. Um, having stress-related medical issues. You know, so many medical issues are stress-related. And so Imagine you have a kid who's been dealing with a drug addiction problem for five, 10 years, and you've been stressed the whole time. You might get some medically related issues. You've already met, by the way, four of the criteria. You only need three. Um, remaining in the relationships while trying to solve them by yourself. So imagine you've got somebody in your life with mental health issues or drug addiction issues or alcohol problems, and you're not quite ready to get help. You're trying to solve them yourself. By that, by that alone, it'll help you meeting criteria for this. Now, with the shame and stigma we have around mental health and addiction, is it any wonder that people would try to solve it themselves? How exactly is adding another diagnosis to the mix the, the fix here? And what's funny to me, or not funny actually, ironic and, and upsetting to some extent, is that what happened from these books and from this suggested diagnosis is that a lot of help for people who are codependents, right? People who are personally codependent, they have this personality disorder, uh, came about, including Codependence Anonymous, otherwise known as CODA, which uses 12-step principles to help people who are codependents. Now, watch the connection here, right? Codependents are primarily codependent if they have somebody in their life with mental health issues and or addiction problems. So these things go really closely together. And I think this speaks volumes as to the next piece about why these behavioral patterns exist. The concept of perfectionism. Because this whole disorder, codependency, suggests or literally just drives the point home that unless you react to heavy turmoil and stress and difficulty in your life and your relationships and any trauma that's associated with that perfectly, unless your reaction to it is perfect and you use really well-crafted boundaries and rules that you follow perfectly to get people the help that they need while you get the support that you want without overextending yourself or causing yourself harm, if, unless you do that, you actually have a clinical problem. And I got to tell you, as somebody who treats and addresses and coaches and educate people who struggle with addiction and mental health problems, it is a difficult thing to manage. And I'm not in their life. I'm not really involved in their day-to-day -day life. I would argue the vast majority of people who have family members who deal with these issues not only don't do it perfectly, but somehow sometimes succumb themselves to mental health struggles. But that's just 
part of the equation, right? When life around you is falling apart, you're going to fall apart a little bit. This disorder, the notion that this disorder even exists is just another mark that you better be perfect at handling your kids because if you're not and they have problems and you don't react to it perfectly, that means you have a problem as well. Now, the last piece that to me we really have to understand when we wonder, well, what are the reasons that people are acting codependently? I'm going to call monkey see, monkey do. You know, we're all just following patterns of behavior that were handed down to us. Like I talked about Melissa's mom, she learned how to be a mom from her mom who learned how to be a mom from her mother, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How judgmental and elitist is it to label somebody as being diagnosably clinically troubled because their over-involvement or the way that they parent doesn't mirror your beliefs of what things should look like? What happened to cultural sensitivity? What happened to the idea that some people don't parent the way that we do? That doesn't mean that the way that they parent is perfect. It doesn't mean that there's no room for it to change. But to label them as being damaged because of that, that to me seems insane. And even more so because of the next category here for me. And that is people change, guys. Everybody changes. These patterns of behavior, these parental patterns, these codependent patterns, they're changeable, which I guess means that it's not that hard to turn a codependent person into somebody who isn't codependent. The sort of, uh, you can't turn a pickle into a cucumber thing. But in this case, you definitely can. Now, if you've listened to my other stuff, I think you actually can with addiction as well. But I want to tell you about Melissa's mom. You know, we taught her boundaries first with us as the clinical team, then with her daughter. It was far from smooth. There were a lot of hiccups. There were a lot of bumps in the road. But over about a year, year and a half of working together, the mom learned how to talk to her daughter differently. She learned how to put boundaries are that are healthy. She learned was a better way to tell your daughter that you would appreciate it if she behaved differently around the dinner table or in the morning or in the evening. She learned how to communicate her own feelings, the mom, to her daughter so that they could have deeper and more relevant and, you know, important and, and kind of empathetic conversations. Codependency is meant to be subclinical. That means it's meant to be situational and episodic. And I think we have to think about it that way and we have to keep it that way, not as a built-in condition because the attempts to make this a clinical disorder are just another examples of the people in the field thinking that slapping a label onto somebody will explain their behavior better. If you've read my article or listened to me ever talk about the fundamental attribution error, this is an example of professionals falling for the fundamental attribution error themselves. This is people thinking that others behave the way they do because of permanent personality patterns and not because of situations. If a loved one is acting in a worrying way, you're going to be worried and have anxiety, not because you're an anxious person, but because the situation is anxiety provoking. The person who's acting in a codependent way is doing it because they believe, and they probably learn at some point, that acting in that way will get them the results they want, right? Like when their child was young, and they acted anxiously or angry, the child stopped what they were doing and it worked. The solution is therefore simple, not always easy, but simple. Change their beliefs and show them that there's a more autonomous and independent way of behaving, a way that is less enmeshed, and that doing that, that living that way will likely actually deliver the results that they want. And I saw this work, I've seen this work with many, many parents, and then the parents dislodge, not because they used to be codependent and they're no longer codependents, but because their beliefs about what sort of behavior will get them the patterns and the outcomes that they want have changed. There's one more thing I want you to think about. What if sometimes this pattern of behavior, this codependent pattern of behavior actually works perfectly 
for a specific pair of people. How do we measure dysfunction here? Like, what if a submissive person acts codependently towards somebody who's really commanding and self-centered, but they're both served by this? Is the assumption that it's always a bad idea to be submissive to somebody else? Is the assumption that everybody should always take their own needs into account more or at least as much as others? What if taking care of other people serves your needs? If there isn't abuse and there isn't damage, but it's a mutual, respectful, working relationship, a symbiotic relationship, is it still a problem? I think that's something we have to consider unless we start all of a sudden creating clinical issues out of any behavioral patterns that don't match what we personally believe is the norm because norms change. In the end, I got to tell you, Melissa's mom got what she wanted. Her daughter stopped struggling. She doesn't show any of the symptoms of any of those conditions anymore. She's still anxious, but I wouldn't say she has generalized anxiety disorder. Uh, Her daughter got back to normal life. I think you heard me talk about it recently, but she sat in this office that I'm sitting in right now uh, just a couple of months ago talking to me about her job search after graduate school. This is a woman that nobody ever thought would be able to move out of the house and go to graduate school. So in the six years before I met Melissa, when her mom was overbearing and took her daughter to rehab after rehab and sober living after sober living, it kept trying to get her better, kept supporting her, kept just getting involved in meddling. Was she doing the wrong thing? Should she have gone to 12-step CODA meetings to stop her meddling and let her daughter do as she will? Would that have made her daughter better? Who knows, right? Nobody can understand or predict what would have happened otherwise. But what I do know is that all the attention that her mother gave Melissa eventually got Melissa to me. And because she got to me, we were able to teach her mom, like many other parents, a more correct way, a more functional and and productive way to go about helping her daughter. And yes, that included boundaries. And yes, that included some disengagement, etc. But without any judgment about what kind of a mom she is, what kind of person she is. And in the end, everybody ended up much happier now. And that situation of codependency is essentially over. Although, let's be honest about it, all moms are really involved and her mom is probably more involved than others. But in the end, all's well that ends well. So here's my point. Especially if you know somebody or you're close to somebody who is struggling themselves. Care all you want. Do anything and everything that you see fit to help your loved one but also educate yourself on what is actually helpful and realize that not everything that looks like support is actually useful to the person you're trying to help, right? Like your kid getting drunk and you calling into school the next day to excuse them might not be the best idea because then they learn that they can get away with drinking and you will cover for them and they didn't suffer the normal sort of real world consequences which taught them, hey, uh, skipping school after drinking is not a good idea. Learn the boundaries that you have internally that you can come up with and see if they match your actual actions in life. And in the end, keep supporting the people that you love as best you can so that they can be the best of who they are. Because that's what this is all about. And you're going to make mistakes along the way, and so are they, and you get to correct. And that doesn't mean you're a different kind of person. It doesn't mean you're a codependent. It doesn't mean you have to all of a sudden take on your own clinical issues. But like all of us, it probably means you have a way to move forward, learn, and become a better parent, a better support for the people you love. Thank you for tuning in to the Ignited Heroes Recovery Podcast. I really hope you found the information here useful and that we'll see you back here next week. And look, I want to make sure that this podcast is the most useful it can be for you. So please let me know by emailing info at ignited.com. 
there are any specific topics or questions you'd like to have addressed. As usual, if you like this episode, I would love for you to leave us a five-star review and rating. Thanks, and see you next week.